Um, but let's, let's go to the book of Revelation and think about just a, a few things. And then I want to trace sort of this historical outline of, of the way that the church has understood worship throughout the, the years. And um, we'll, we'll continue talking about this into the, into the near future here. But Revelation chapter 5, verse, mm, let's, uh, let's go back to verse 8. And, uh, and there's, this, uh, there's this scene that's unfolding that the Apostle John is beholding. And maybe we'll go back to verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, this is it, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and, your, and, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living, uh, and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying, with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So the reason I read this particular text is because there is a, there's this element. And the, the, the wording is so rich here in, in what is being communicated. Because when we, when we think about what worship is, we're thinking about the declaration of worth. right? Something that has value and then ascribing to it or declaring exactly what the worth of that thing is. And so we see on, on several occasions, just the word worthy, are you to take the scroll to open its seals? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And so when we think about worship, we're thinking about, again, last week we talked about those elements, those key elements where we're like, centering our time around the Word of God, where we're embedding ourselves in God's Word as God's people uh, through the singing of it, through the proclamation of it, through the reading of it. And, and, and then as we go from this place or as we go from the gathered assembling of God's people to wor- or that, that are gathered to worship Him verbally through this proclamation and through this reading and through this singing, we go from the place prepared then to order, we, we used this language before, but order our lives around, right? So there's a centralized thing there, and that thing is Jesus Christ. Order our lives around and orient our lives towards, towards Jesus, toward God. 
And so when we do that, we see that we have direction then, and we see that we have, or what's at our core, is what has the most value, right? We talked about that a bit this morning. If you were with us this morning, we were talking about the fact that Jesus, Elon Musk worth $100 billion, Jesus is worth infinitely more than Elon Musk because he created everything and because he he accomplished everything that he set out to without any type of opposition. And so we order our lives around, we center, we center our lives around, or we orient our lives towards the, the person of Jesus, Jesus Christ. And so we go from this place, we think about our work, we think about our interactions with friends and family and coworkers and loved ones. We think about those interactions and we say, how am I demonstrating that my compass is pointing to true north, which is Jesus? And how am I demonstrating that at the core of who I am, that Jesus sits there on, on the throne? But there's this dynamic too. So the life component, we think about the, the book of Romans in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul calls it our spiritual worship, right? But then there's this component too of this declaration because we can't actually say that just doing actions is uh, is all that the New Testament requires of us. There's actually a verbal component that needs to be acknowledged. And this is why this is part of the goal of congregational worship. Because when we get together, we're giving each other a vocabulary to speak about who God is. Again, that's something we talked about this morning too. In the prologue of John's gospel, John is giving his readers a vocabulary to speak about Jesus Christ. And so when we gather together, we sing songs, we read scripture, we hear the word proclaimed in order that we would be given a vocabulary to declare the infinite worth of of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the declaration or the verbal proclamation of who God is, we're saying that we want to, or worship is, we could say that, worship is communicating God's worth rightly. We know this. You know this. There are a lot of places and avenues in our world that seek to demonstrate or to seek to speak or declare something about God's worth that, that doesn't do it rightly. Um, there are places that do this, and oftentimes this is where cults come from. And, and that, we're, like, we're not using the language of Scripture to speak the truth of who God is. And so the best thing for us to do when we're thinking about the verbal proclamation and the verbal component of our worship is that, uh, that we ought to, in order to communicate God's worth rightly, we need to use his language and not our own. We need to use God's language and not our own. And so a couple things that we see throughout scripture coming up over and over again is the idea of remembering and the idea of rejoicing. Now there are more than that, but I just want to give you those two things to latch on to this evening. Remembering and rejoicing. Um, So just to, I want to give you just like a bit of a trajectory through scripture as it relates to the ideas of remembering and rejoicing. Again, going back to the beginning of this year in 2020, when we looked at the, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you'll remember right at the end of Genesis chapter 4, uh, verse 26, 
Uh, there's this little verse here that's embedded and wraps up that section right before a pretty hefty genealogy in chapter 5. And uh, right there is uh, um, Moses writes, To Seth also a son was born, and, his name, and he called his name Enosh. And then there's just this little phrase that can't be missed as we go into chapter 5. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the beginning of this notion that there is a biblical language that needs to be spoken about who God is and that they needed to actually call upon the name of the Lord, one, in prayer, but two, in the way that they proclaimed who God was to one another. If you fast forward a little bit to the book of Exodus, God delivers his people out of Egypt. They come up out of Egypt and the Red Sea is parted. You know that story. The Red Sea is parted and the Israelites make their way through uh, the Red Sea. And on the other side, after, uh, after Pharaoh's army is destroyed, we have a section of remembrance. Exodus chapter 14, verse 30 through chapter 15, verse 2 says this. This is, this is the remembrance portion I want you to latch on to. This, this event just happened, and this is what's recorded. Thus, says, or thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then read right at the beginning of uh, chapter 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. So you see the elements of remembering. Even what God has just done in that in that short period of time. But what's beautiful about this is that this becomes the content of so much of the Psalter. That if you read through the Psalms, you're going to find these ideas uh, over and over again, given over and over again, the deliverance of, of God's people, especially out of the hands of, of the Egyptians by his servant Moses. And this is the idea again and again that pops up throughout the Old Testament. So in order to use biblical language, we must use the language of remembering. And now that can contain two components. It can contain things that God has done for us in our own lives personally, but that, that's maybe the easier one. But the one that's maybe more difficult is the one that is continually remembering what God has done biblically for his people throughout the course of 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 the centuries, it's been centuries uh, that God has set a people apart for himself. The second component there, though, is we have the remembering, using God's language to speak about God, uh, the biblical language of remembering, but then also of rejoicing. Um, th- I just highlighted this passage briefly. In 1 Samuel 2, uh, we meet this, we meet Hannah, right? And Hannah sort of has this this uh, parallel with, with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, and what Hannah 
prays at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 2. And she prays this and she says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And we see similar language in uh, the Magnificat, which is Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now until all generations will call me blessed. And there's more here. And even at the end of this, we have the language of remembrance, though also in Mary's song. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So it's, it's no wonder that the New Testament author, authors are frequently commanding us to rejoice. Because by rejoicing, we're using God's language uh, to, to the biblical language of remembering and rejoicing to worship, to worship God. The, the, so we're using his language. This is the verbal proclamation and declaration of who God is uh, to those around us, to the world around us, learning that, being trained up for that in the midst of congregational worship, but then also taking that out to the world, declaring it to people who have yet to believe in who, who Jesus Christ is. And as we use his language of remembering and rejoicing, we begin to devote ourselves to the things that God says are important. Um, this is part of worship as well, devoting ourselves to that which God says is important. I just, I'm going to highlight this, this passage in Psalm 78. Um, the psalmist writes, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Okay, so here's where it becomes a devotion to the things that God says are important. Verse 4. We will not hide them. I think this is 4. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So not only are we using the biblical language of remembering and of rejoicing, but now we're devoting ourselves to the declaration of those things to the next generation, which is devoting ourselves to the things that God says are of importance. We actually devote our, or actually demonstrate then what we value by how much time we give a thing. And so when we're thinking about the declaration of remembering, we're thinking about the declaration of rejoicing, and we're devoting ourselves to the things that God says are important, we're actually worshiping. The more time we do that, the more we say we value those things. So just, I. That, that's where we want to go with this, that there's a, that there's a, there's a, there's a key here to, to when we gather together for worship, we're being trained up in these things. We're being taught how to rejoice. We're being taught how to remember. We're being taught how to talk about those things. And then uh, we take them out in order that we might speak these truths to the world around us. 
uh, there's a popular saying, which is not something that I would say is good. Uh, the popular saying is, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. And that's not a New Testament a New Testament understanding. We have to absolutely use words to proclaim the gospel. That doesn't mean that our acts of charity can't be gateways, but the Bible, the New Testament says, if you, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's actually a verbal confession and a verbal proclamation that needs to be made uh, in order to, to be saved. Uh, and so the language of remembering and rejoicing, those things are designed to move people towards, this is evangelistic, it's designed to move people towards a better understanding of who the God of the universe is, the God that we serve. So uh, the, the, the rest of our time, which is like one minute, I want to uh, just read a couple of, because throughout church history too, the, the idea of, of these things came up like, when church leaders were, and this is perfect because Mark sang hymns tonight and we called them out and we remembered some of the things, the content of these hymns that we love and cherish so much. And the reason some of these were written or the reason they all are written is to train us how to think and speak about who God is. Uh, my, my wife has been... Uh, teaching our kids hymns. Last month they learned Amazing Grace. This month is Great is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, and she's invited other families in the church to teach their kids uh, hymns because of the truths that are there that, that help us understand better who God is. But this has been going on for a long time. A lot of the hymns in our hymnal are, are recent. I mean, when I say recent, within the last couple hundred years. Um, but there's a whole host of hymns that, uh, that have endured through church history and, uh, and, and are, are incredibly rich. So let me just give you a sample. I just want to give you a sample because they're so good. Let me give you a sample of this and then, and then we'll, we'll wrap our time. Clement of Alexandria is a church father and he wrote this hymn. And I'm not sure if it would have been sung or not. I think it probably would have. But uh, it's called Shepherd of Eager Youth. This is written around 200, like the year 200. Let me just give you a, a brief snippet. Shepherd of eager youth, guiding in love and truth, through devious ways, Christ, our triumphant King, we come thy name to sing, hither our children bring to shout thy praise. Thou art our holy Lord, the, the all-subduing word, Healer of strife, thou didst thyself abase, that from sin's deep disgrace thou mightest save our race and give us life. Now, some of that language is antiquated, like some of that translation is antiquated, but we see here how, how it's training us to speak about who God is. Uh, Ephraim Cyrus, an Easter hymn written in about 307, just three simple lines Blessed be the Messiah who has given us a hope that the dead shall rise again. Um, I've got a ton of these. Thanks, John, for compiling these for me. But there are just over and over again. Uh, the, the, Be thou my vision, 23 in the, in the hymnal. That was an 8th century or 7th century hymn uh, that, that was sung widely in that period. That, that's probably one of the oldest ones in, in the hymnal, I would think, uh, around... 600 or, or earlier even maybe. 
but the uh, the 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 uh, just the the language is so so rich. I want to give you a couple more because they're so good. Oh, last week we sang Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written in 1528. Uh, and some of the more recent ones uh, are, are, are amazing as well. Uh, we know Holy, 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 written in 18, 1826. Holy, Holy, Holy. We see some of this language even here extracted right out of Revelation chapter 5. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And so you can see here, as you just if you open the hymnal and just spend some time reading, you can see the desire to give us language to speak about who, who God is in order that we might worship him with our lips as we, not only as we sit together in the people of God assembled, but as we go out into the world around us. And so that's the takeaway. The takeaway is to see that we are fixed amongst a historical body of believers. Every person who has confessed the name of Jesus and every person who has trusted God for the forgiveness of their sins and the redemption that even before the fullness of redemption came in the person of Jesus Christ, the people who trusted in the promise of God were learning how to speak about who God is by remembering and by rejoicing and delighting in who, who he is. So that's the takeaway. Go from this place, think about the, the rich texts that we have that flow out of the ideas of Scripture. Take those and apply them uh, in, into your everyday life and speak them to both believers and unbelievers as often as you are, as you are able.